As we all know now, Sam and his family are having a wonderful time at the Russian River. And usually we have great, great guest speakers, and today is no exception. So let's welcome our guest speaker, a brother that I've talked to a couple of times, Mr. Scott Burbank. Thank you, Ted. It's good to see you. How are you doing? Doing good. How are you? It's good to see you. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Good evening. Or good morning. Sorry. I didn't sleep very much last night. Okay. How are you? Doing well? Okay. I wanted to start off and ask uh, just a question for you to think about. Um, the, the question is, have you ever had a time where somebody has told you something you didn't want to hear, and you, but you needed to hear it? Okay, so I want to take a moment and really think about a specific moment, okay, for you. And then in a sec, I'd actually like to invite you to share with people around you. Um, what was a time that somebody told you something you did not want to hear, but you needed to hear it? Cool? All right. So you're welcome to go ahead just with the people around you for a moment. I'd love for you to share that, um, and then we'll come back together, okay? That was just probably a really fun conversation. Um, I know um, for me, and it's funny that this happened this morning. Uh, it happens a lot. Um, but last night when we went out to, um, to celebrate the 4th, I was eating a hamburger, and uh, there was a jar of like the special garlic mustard there. And so I thought, yeah, I love garlic. I think garlic is wonderful. Um, any garlic fans? Okay. Um, it's wonderful. It's incredible. Um, but the people that you live with don't think that it's as incredible as you do. And so it's funny, this morning I got up and um, you know, brushed my teeth and I'm just walking around the house and my wife, she, she comes to me and she's just like, have you brushed your teeth yet? And uh, she's so, my wife is so sweet. She's so kind. Uh, she wasn't trying to hurt my feelings, but she wanted to make sure that I knew that it's not good. Like um, you having garlic doesn't, you know, when you're breathing. I know, I'm sorry, I'm letting you into my world. So actually this morning, she made me stop and buy a can of Altoids. And so, hey, if any of you guys, if I'm having conversations with you and I see you like slowly back away, I get it. I understand. Um, that's totally fine. Um, I also even think like, you know, just as far as like the doctor, um, I, I know there are times in my life that I've avoided even stepping on a scale because I don't want to know what the truth is. Um, and so going to the doctor and you walk into the doctor and the doctor says, um, hey, you could stand uh, to lose a few pounds. I mean, that is not something I want to hear. I, I don't want to hear it, but I need to hear it. And um, as I was thinking about that, there's, there's a really cool story in the Old Testament. We're not going to spend time, a lot of time there this morning, but I wanted to just kind of open up with this. It's, it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It won't be up on the screen, but you're welcome to go ahead and turn there. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And it's, an, it's a story that you might be familiar with. It involves King David. King David was somebody that was called a man after God's own heart. That's pretty, that's pretty big. Um, but he was also a kind of a wild guy. I mean, he, he involved himself in some things that, um, that were, that were rough, you know, for sure. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, just, uh, to kind of run through real quick, David, um, his army is sent off to war. And what does David do? Stays home. Um, he stays back. So everybody goes out to war. David's back at home. And when he's back at home, he sees this woman named Bathsheba. And you know the story that he, um, he sees her and then he decides, I, I want to enter into union with her. So he brings her over to where he is and he 
commits adultery with her, right? And so he does this, this terrible thing. And then you know that, um, do you remember what her husband's name was? Yeah, Uriah. And so Uriah was actually somebody that was out fighting. And David found out that Bathsheba had, had become pregnant. And so instead of like just owning up to what had happened, he decides, I've got to find a way to cover this up. I've got a good idea. I'm going to bring Uriah home. And I'm going to tell Uriah, hey, come on back. I want you to actually enjoy yourself. Go home. Be with Bathsheba. Um, just, just go ahead and take a break. Because he's thinking, of course, you know, that he's going to go back and, and then this will be a way for uh, the pregnancy to be explained. But, but Uriah decides, no, I'm, I'm not. If my men are out fighting, I'm not going to go back and, and do that. That just wouldn't be respectful to the men. And so David decides, okay, fine. And, um, Uriah is sent back. But do you remember what happens with Uriah? What's that? Yeah, he slept at the door. He never actually um, entered into a relationship with his wife when he was back. And then he goes back to war and David commands that Uriah be sent to the front lines. So David decides, since Uriah is not going to play along with this little, this little trick here, I'll, I can have him killed. And so Uriah does die in battle. And David's the one that's responsible for it. So you just think of some of those kind of, uh, th- those kind of moments. And then this really amazing thing happens. Somebody comes to tell David a story. Do you remember who comes to tell David this story, this little parable? What's that? Yeah. He comes back and basically he, he says, uh, David, I need, or, uh, I need to tell you the story. And so he says, yeah, what is it? He says, there's a man who has a sheep and he absolutely values and prizes it. Uh, it's... It's almost like a part of his family. He doesn't have much. He's very poor, but he does have this lamb, right? And then there's also a rich man who could have anything that he wants. And this rich man decides he's going to throw a party. And instead of going and getting a lamb or getting food for the party somewhere else, he goes to this man who's poor and only has one. He takes that lamb and slaughters it and kills it and serves it at his party. What do you think about that? What should we do about that man, David? And what does David say? Yeah, kill him. He gets angry. And he really does. He gets so angry and he says, kill him. He has no right to live. Um, That is horrible that he would do it. And then do you remember what Nathan says back to him? You are the man. It's not like in a cool way. You're the man, you know. He says, you are that man. And this is an example of a parable. Throughout the scriptures, there are stories that are told that are meant to cut. I mean, you think of, you think of what it would have been like for David. Um, Nathan could have just walked in and said, hey, hey, the way you just treated Uriah, the way that you just treated Bathsheba and this whole incident, like, do you see what you've done? He could have just come in and said that. But instead, he told this story that caused David to find himself in the middle of this story and, and to start actually feeling the emotions in the story. This is a parable. You see it constantly throughout the New Testament. Jesus uses parable to teach. And the beautiful part about parables is that the point of it is you're telling a story where people that are listening can identify. They put themselves in the middle of that story. And it's, it's a way to actually be able to tell somebody something or to help them see something that maybe they don't even want to see themselves. 
And this morning, what I'd like for us to do is just take a little bit of time to look at a parable that actually might be one that you're familiar with, quite familiar with, but I'd love to look at it uh, in as much context as possible, to try as much as possible to see it through the lens of the people that would have heard it for the first time. Cool? You guys with me? So this is one that's found in Luke chapter 10. Um, This is Luke chapter 10. Let me go ahead and go there. I will put it up here on the screen. This is one that is referred to as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And look, this might be a parable that you go, I've heard this. I've heard it a thousand times. I totally get it. And that might be the case. That's totally fine. Um, But to be honest, the more that I've read this parable, the more I've realized, wow, maybe the point that I've always thought this story was meant to tell, maybe it's not the point that Jesus was making. So let's just start out here. Here we go. So Luke chapter 10 says, on one occasion... An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, usually when we hear about these experts of the law or the Pharisees, we think of them as the bad guy, right? Almost like there should be music playing, um, you know, that would, you know, like Darth Vader music come. You know, every time they come in, you go, oh, okay, Pharisee, bad guy. I want to ask you, try not to do that here. It is possible. There are times in the scripture where a Pharisee or some teacher in the law will actually be trying to trip Jesus up because he wants Jesus to give an answer that will make the crowd angry and then that will cause the crowd to want Jesus to die. But it's also, just to understand, it's possible that this is somebody who genuinely is wanting to seek some kind of an answer. So he is an expert in the law. Some um, Translations say that he's a lawyer. This would be somebody that would know the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. He would understand the first five books of the scriptures. Do you guys remember what that, the first five books are called? Yeah, the Torah. Yeah, so he would know that in and out, right? And so he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Is that a good question? Yeah, it's a great question. Maybe you've wondered it yourself. I mean, have you thought about the fact that most of us are only on this earth for a short period of time, and then what happens after we die? So it's very possible when he's asking this, that's what he's asking about, um, what happens in eternal life. But even deeper, a, a, a conversation that they would have would be, hey, what does it look like to live fully here and now too? That's what they really would care about. So he's asking Jesus this, and Jesus doesn't answer his question. Um, it's funny, in the New Testament scriptures, there are like 180 times that people come to Jesus and ask a question directly, and only three times Jesus answers it directly. Usually he goes back to a story or he asks them a question. And so here's what he says. He goes, well, tell me what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus is asking him, okay, Help me understand, what do, you, what do you really think that the Torah says? What, what do you understand the scriptures to say about how to understand and how to have eternal life? Just know that in the first five books of the, the scriptures, there is no mention of the afterlife. There isn't. Um, it, it doesn't mean that it didn't matter or it doesn't matter, but you can find in, in, um, in the way that the Hebrews would think, the, the concept of eternal life wasn't one that was wrestled with as much as you and I would wrestle with it. They were concerned with how do I need to live now so that I can live life and experience life the way that it's meant to be experienced here on earth. Uh, Many Hebrews that would go back to the uh, first five books of the Bible might not have even uh, had a concept of an afterlife. 
Doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. I believe that there is an afterlife, but it might not have been very important to them. And so Jesus is asking him, well, when you read the Old Testament, when you read the scriptures, what do you find? How do you read it? And then this is what he says. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is called the Shema. Have you heard this? Uh, this is something that, that someone um, of Jewish descent would repeat likely every day. They knew this by heart. Uh, they would know that first part that would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind. It's possible that with that answer, the people that are hearing Jesus speak actually might have just been kind of like yawning, like, oh, we've heard this. How many times, maybe it's happening to you right now, where you're just like, I've heard this. How many times have I heard this, Right? We're all there. Don't worry. If you can yawn, that's not going to offend me. But essentially, this would have been an answer that any, anyone would have given, right? That, that any Jewish person would have given. Well, hey, the way that you have eternal life is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, okay? So at this point, we're kind of like, okay, fine, I'm playing with you. This is good. And then Jesus says, yep, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live, What does that mean? I mean, think about that for a second. What does that actually mean? Do this and you will live. Okay, are you saying if I do that, I'll live forever? Are you saying do that and I'll have a good life? Do what exactly too? What does it look like to actually love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength? And to love your neighbor as yourself. What does that look like? Often Jesus' answers when he would ask a question back, it would not cause people to go, oh, I got it but they would have more questions. And I really believe this. The more that I really unearth the scriptures, the more that I really believe that asking questions is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Don't be afraid of the questions. And so many times I think we we get raised in a a church where we're expected to know everything and to have answers for everything and to know the seven laws and to know, you know, the four hoops and to understand that. And we feel like doubt or questions are things we need to run away from. But don't run away from them. Deal with them. Um, Ask them. Ask them. Bring other people in. Ask them with other people. And so this is what happens. Jesus says, do this and you will live. That opens up more questions for me. But then here's what happens. This man wanted to justify himself. Likely, he already knew he wanted to go this way and ask Jesus this question. This was a big question. There are um, examples of this question being asked of Hebrew scholars in Jesus' time and in the years before. They really wanted to understand the scriptures. They wanted to know, okay, who's my neighbor? Think Think of that. Isn't that a good question? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, is it, is it a good question? Okay, you're telling me I need to love my neighbor as myself. Cool. Who's my neighbor? Who's, who are you talking about here? You can go back into the Old Testament, into Deuteronomy, that actually it brings up this passage, and um, it'll even say your neighbor would even be the foreigner among you. Some people would say, yep, that's who it is. It's the people that live around you, even if they're Jewish or foreign. Others would say, no, your neighbor is someone who's a fellow Jew. Others would say it's all about proximity. It's going to be the people in your household. It's going to be the people that live around you. Now, why would you ask that question? Why would you ask the question of Jesus, who is my neighbor? Any thoughts? Why would somebody even, why would you want to lean in on that? 
Why is that important? Yeah. It's, why does it matter? It mat- I mean, you're right. You're supposed to love them. And so it's like, okay, who are you telling me to love? Who does God expect me to love? Think of the way that religion... And guys, I grew up um, in a very loving, caring family, a loving, caring church. But I can tell you, um, I grew up, I think, with, um, with a lens that would say... Um, where I'm always asking, what do I need to do to earn God's love and approval? What do I need to do to earn other people's approval? And so at the core of this question is really this, what is the bottom line? What do I need to do to accomplish whatever I got to accomplish to make sure God's cool with me and that I I know where I'm going to be for eternity? I mean, have you ever asked that question? Like, what does God expect of me? What does God want? If God's telling me I got to love people, who do I need to love? Give me the list. And I know some of them are going to be people I might not kind of not like, but that's okay. I can figure out how to stomach that. And, and even if I don't love them, God's still going to forgive me. But just tell me who do I need to love. Does, does that make sense? Like that's the way I see it. That's the way that it happens for me often. And so Jesus, instead of going, okay, you know Bill, like, yeah, go ahead and put him on the list. And you know your cousin and the person that you were at the party with last night. Um, these are the people. He doesn't do that. He jumps into a parable. And remember, parables, these aren't stories that really happen. Jesus is trying to prove a point, and, and he's inviting the people listening to put themselves in the story. When you hear a parable or when you read a parable, I invite you, to ask the question, who am I in this story? Who might I be? And listen, when this was first said, it wasn't said to us. I get that. Um, The Bible wasn't written to Americans in the year 2015, but it still applies to us, right? We can still learn from it. And so ask yourself as you hear the story, who am I? Like, how do I see myself? And then I would also ask the question, is God, can I see God in this story? Does God reveal his heart? Does God reveal himself? So here's the story. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped off his clothes. They beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. So remember half dead, that's important. So this man is going He's along this road, he's attacked, he's beaten, and imagine he's laying there, probably bloody, um, in a really, really bad state, laying there. And then here's what happens. So this is uh, just to kind of give you an idea. I mean, this isn't an actual photograph of the event, but this is something, it's from Google Images. Perhaps you've heard of this. So just imagine you're walking by, right? And uh, imagine this is a great story. Jesus is telling a story. He's talking to this expert in the law. And so he's going to tell a story and he's going to put characters in. And one of these characters or a couple might represent this person. They also might represent the people that are listening in the story. So here's what he says. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. I want you to know this road was a real road that people would have known. Probably it was only two or three, maybe four feet wide at most of it. And there was a cliff on the side. And so part of the story that Jesus is telling is kind of comical because these people would have had to deal with this person. This priest would have come in contact with this person. And so it says that this priest 
comes in, saw the man, passed on by to the other side. Now, why do you think the priest did this? Didn't want to be bothered? That might be an answer. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, unclean. Yeah. So here's, here's the thing. If you kind of put yourself in the position of the people listening to this story, did they think of priests um, or Pharisees or Sadducees as good or bad people? What's that? Well, you're right. Like, I think we, we look at them definitely through that lens. But I think the people probably at the time would have, would have thought of them as people that were respected. You know, here's somebody coming through who is a, a teacher of the law, someone who has it together, someone who truly their, their position in life is to, to look out for the spiritual needs of others. But you're right. I mean, I think we, we tend to look at it that way. They would have come along... And a priest, if you look in the Old Testament, there are laws about whether or not a priest can even be around um, bodily fluids, um, blood, death. And this is someone who is dying. And so the people that are listening would have known, oh, wow, this priest is being faced with something here, an actual choice. This priest is having to decide whether or not he is going to remain clean by avoiding the body or whether he's going to choose to say, I will let go of being ceremonially clean to take care of this individual. So put yourself in that priest position, right? This isn't necessarily like a jerk. You know, we always think of it that way where it's, hey, I'm busy, you know, I'll get you later, that kind of a thing. But that might not have been the case here. The people, though, would have understood that in Jewish thought, you could absolutely choose to break one of those laws in order to save a life. Their, that, that was their thought pattern. They, they truly would have thought, hey, if, if somebody falls into a well on the Sabbath, can you go in and get them? Or do you have to say, hey, we'll come back and get you tomorrow. Hopefully you're still alive, but we're not allowed to do anything right now. We can't, we can't help you. So there were some in the Jewish way of thinking that would say, of course you can help. Life matters. Then you had some in the Jewish tradition that actually said, no, look, it's letter of the law. In order for me to stay ceremonially clean for all of my congregants, I'm not going to touch this body. But that's what's going on here. He doesn't help. Next person that comes by is a Levite. What's a Levite? Yeah, it's a priest. Same kind of a thing happens here. And just imagine if you're listening to the story and Jesus is telling it, you're, you're thinking, oh, wow, um, those two people would have been people maybe we would have expected to stop and help, uh, but they make a decision not to help, right? And we understand why they made the decision, but they probably should have stopped and helped. And what do you think this person that Jesus is telling the story to, what do you think he would be thinking during this time? What might he be thinking? Would he be thinking, oh, I wouldn't stop. What are you thinking? If, if you were in that position, would you stop? Because when we tell the story and we think about the story, who are we? Oh, I'm, I'm a Samaritan. Yeah, I mean, sure. I'm going to help somebody if I'm walking down the road and, and they need help. He, he, he might be thinking, wow, okay, that wasn't expected that they walked on by. But maybe the next person that comes is a lawyer an expert in the law who's going to stop and help. And maybe the point is, 
You help anyone as you're walking down the street. If there's somebody in need, you help them. That's what it means to be a neighbor. But Jesus says something that would have been unexpected. And I can tell you, it would have shocked the people that were hearing him. Jesus doesn't introduce a new character into the story that is someone that they're familiar with and that they're, you know, that they like to hang out with. He introduces a Samaritan. And this, this really, you have to understand, this would have been traumatic for the person hearing it. Um, there, it would have been traumatic, and I'll explain why. I know a lot of you have an understanding of why, but it says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And let's see what happened here. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Then the next day, so this is led on into a, another day, it says he took out two denarii, and a denarii is a day's wages. Imagine just giving two days' wages. Gave it to the innkeeper and said, look after him, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any ex- extra expense that you may have. Remember, this is not a story of something that's really happening. Jesus is telling a story, and he's emphasizing certain things. He's being as unexpected as he can because he's wanting others that are hearing the story to go, oh, like to feel uncomfortable. He wants people to feel uncomfortable. He wants people to ask questions about their assumptions. And that's the purpose of this. Then Jesus says to this guy, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? So Samaritans. And I know, I, I'm sure, like you've, you've heard quite a bit, but um, Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Uh, think right now of of the uh, conflict between, and this isn't the same people groups, but think of Israel and Palestine. Uh, think of two people groups who the only way they can conceive of success for their own group is for the other group to be defeated. Right? Samaritans were considered half-breeds. Um, do you remember when the kingdom of Israel was split in two? There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was uh, overtaken by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians decided that the way that we're going to get rid of all a Jewish culture in the northern kingdom is we'll send our Assyrians in and we will breed out the Jewish culture. And so the people in the northern kingdom became essentially a half of the Assyrian culture and half of the Jewish culture mixed together, they still followed the five books of the uh, Hebrew Old Testament, the Torah. But the Jews looked at them as um, unfavorable. They thought of them as unlovable. They hated them. And there are instances throughout the scriptures, actually, where you see conflict. There were times where the Samaritans would actually come into the southern kingdom and would decimate, or they would um, come into a city, and they would ransack a city. They would kill the people there. There were also times when the southern kingdom would go into uh, the northern kingdom, which the northern kingdom's um, capital was Samaria. They would go into that kingdom, and they would attack. They hated each other. Um, a, a Jew would truly think of a Samaritan as, that is somebody that, that God cannot love. 
So when you start thinking, why would Jesus introduce that individual into the story? And we think of it as the Good Samaritan. That's what we name it. That wasn't what it was called. Jesus didn't say, let me tell you the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus just dropped it on him. It said, there's a man who's a Samaritan, and he's the one that actually steps in, and he's the neighbor. So think of this. It's, it's brilliant. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And listen to the, the response of this gentleman. He said, well, the expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. He can't even bring himself to say Samaritan. Um, you think of the bias. Think of the cultural bias. For a moment, and I know we're all perfect, so we don't have any cultural biases, okay? But just imagine you did, right? No, but just think about that. Think of, are there people in this earth that are irredeemable? And I'm not saying intellectually where you go, no, 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 God loves everyone. Hypothetically, God could love this person. He, he could, he doesn't, but he could, right? I mean, are there any people that in your mind you go, I just don't, I don't get them. I don't like them. Um, you might not wish them harm, but um, you truly carry a bias toward the way that they think or the way that they act. And maybe you can even take it a little bit deeper. Um, are there people that you would actually go like a people group? I, I hate them. The story, if you were to modernize it, right? Imagine that it is a Palestinian who is walking along this path and this Palestinian is beaten and is laying there on the ground and a Jewish rabbi walks by. Um, or I'm sorry, a, some, a member, let's say a member of the um, PLO walks by. That's, um, you know, he walks by and he stands there and he just decides to move on. Then a, a Palestinian teacher walks by and he does nothing. But then a, an Israeli soldier walks by and stops and takes care of this Palestinian. Or flip that around. Imagine that it's a, it's a Jew who has been beaten. And flip it around. Imagine that it's the people, the, the rabbi that comes by and, and the rabbi does nothing. But it's the Palestinian who, who actually comes by and says, I'm going to take you up and I'm going to take care of you. It's, it, it bridges hate. And when Jesus brings up this idea of a Samaritan, he's saying, listen, um, who out of these three people was the neighbor? And the guy goes, well, it's, it's the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, yeah, go and do likewise. So who is the neighbor here? the Samaritan. So what is Jesus saying to this teacher of the law about who his neighbor is? Yeah. It, it, your neighbor is anyone. Your neighbor is everyone. Your neighbor is, is not just the person that makes you frustrated, right? It's, uh, it's not just the person who talks about you behind your back. Your neighbor is anyone. And understand, uh, I know that there are some people that, um, you know, you kind of go, gosh, there are people that are actually in my life that have hurt me 
uh, in ways that no person should ever be hurt. And so what I'm not telling you is that you go to everyone, no matter who they are or what they've done, and you have to say, okay, we're going to be friends now, and we need to hang out, and we need to be close. You might still need to have distance for health. But what, what this looks like, though, is really true, honest forgiveness, true, honest compassion, true, honest love. Our neighbor is everyone. Who do we have in this world that you would look through a lens of bias towards or anger towards or frustration towards? Who could be put in that position of the Samaritan for you that would cause you to go, no, 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 that, that can't even happen. It's not even possible because they wouldn't act that way. Um, in Second Chronicles, if you have your scriptures, if you can open up just for a moment, I want to see something. I want us to see something I think is really interesting. And I just came upon it this week. And you might have seen this before. It's Second Chronicles, chapter 28. And this is an instant, and I don't know whether or not Jesus was referring to this in the Good Samaritan story, but this is the Samaritans. This is the Samaritan people in an interaction with the Israelites, starting in verse uh, 5. Therefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hands of the king of Aram. The Arameans defeated him and took many of his people as prisoners, brought them to Damascus. He was also given into the hands of the king of Israel, who inflicted heavy casualties on him. This is the northern kingdom. It says, In one day, Pekah, son of Ramalia, killed 120,000 soldiers in Judah, because Judah had forsaken the Lord the God of their ancestors. Move down to eight. The men of Israel took captive from their fellow Israelites who were from Judah, 200,000 wives, sons, and daughters. They also took a great deal of plunder, which they carried back to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord named Oded was there, and, and he went out to meet the army when it returned to Samaria, and he said to them, Because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, was angry with Judah, he gave them into your hand, but you have slaughtered them in a rage that reaches to heaven. And now you intend to make the men and women of Judah and Jerusalem your slaves. But aren't you also guilty of sins against the Lord your God? Now listen to me. Send back your fellow Israelites you have taken as prisoners, for the Lord's fierce anger rests on you. And then it goes down in verse 13. It says... um, You must not bring those prisoners here, they said, or we will be guilty before the Lord. Do you intend to add to our sin and guilt? For our guilt is already great, and his fierce anger rests on Israel. So the um, the soldiers gave up their prisoners and plunder and the presence of the officials and all the assembly. The men designated by name took the prisoners, and from the plunder they clothed all who were naked. They provided them with clothes and sandals, food and drink and healing balm, All those who were weak, they put on donkeys. And they took them back to their fellow Israelites at Jericho, the city of Palms, and returned to Samaria. So it's it's interesting. Do Do you see a parallel here? The people that they're speaking of after the divided kingdom were the northern um, individuals in Israel who had come in and plundered Judah and then taken out of Judah these these um, prisoners. 
And it's just incredible. And I, I don't know whether or not this is truly a connection that Jesus was making. But can you imagine that the, the expert in the law, the expert in the law would have understood this. So think of the history. Is there anybody that you have a history with that, um, where there's brokenness? Um, where even being in the same room is uncomfortable? So can you see how just dropping in this Samaritan into the story would have caused an Israelite not to go, oh yeah, or whatever. But he would have, he would have been angry. When somebody tells you something you don't want to hear, how do you react? I got frustrated with my wife this morning. It was just over me having bad breath. Okay? You don't want to hear it. And in this story, I think this is a beautiful example. We can see God's heart in this story. God's heart. God's heart is that every human being on earth is precious. And guys, I'm not just saying that theoretically. I think we think of it often as, well, God's on my side. I mean, the things I like, the political party I follow and the baseball team I like, and like God follows those people. And, and God is for me in every single, um, you know, every single venture. And if God's for me, then that means God must also be um, against the people that I look at as being outside of my circle. And the question I would ask is, is that the way that, that the world truly is? Is that the way that God truly sees the world? And, and some of us might even go, well, it's not that God hates them, but God would expect, God will love them as long as they will do this, 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 and this, and this, and make this, 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 this right. Then they'll be on my side, and then everything's going to be good. Is that the way things are? And I would even ask this question, Jesus is saying, go and do likewise. Is Jesus not saying, look, um, God loves everyone. He truly does. And, and the opportunity here, if you want to know what it's like to live a full life, partner with God in bringing restoration and bringing love, bringing genuine love, not, even, not bringing judgment, not bringing a list of you need to do this and this and this in order to earn my love, but how can you truly show love to somebody that's God's love, uh, in a way that, that they'll, they'll receive it and not feel like you're just dumping on them. And it's hard for me, guys. I mean, it's really hard for me because people that I've been upset with, I come into the whole restoration process going, we're going to be cool as long as you do these things. But how does God deal with you? Does God set an ultimatum and say, you'll be my child, but you better toe the line. Um, I will love you and I'll give you my kingdom, but you better know there are hoops that I expect you to jump through because my love is only conditional on what you do. God's love is not conditional on what you do. It really isn't. And guys, that might be a statement that makes you go, oh, well, I don't know if that's true. That'd be to- I totally would love to lean in on that or talk about that. I'd love to hear that from you. Is there any way you can earn God's love? If, if we can't earn God's love, why do we expect those that we disagree with to have to jump through certain hoops to be able to earn God's love? 
And listen, this whole talk isn't about making you, I don't want you to walk out of here feeling like, oh, woe is me, guilty. Oh, I'm such a terrible person. It isn't about that at all. If that, I really, I think this is just an awesome opportunity for us to say, how does God love us? Jesus is showing here that God's love spreads throughout the world. And it's very, very, very possible that the people that the people that you would see as enemies, God actually cares about them and loves them and uh, doesn't see them through the lens that you see them through. And that's good news. Guys, the good news is that Jesus Christ is king and that God loves you even though you're not perfect and that God loves every human being on this earth, even if they're in a different political um, mind frame, even if they, they, uh, they don't um, treat their lives the same way that you treat your life. It's interesting. Um, I, I teach high school, and, and I'm closing, but I teach high school, and one of the questions I ask students is I say, okay, who's going to be in heaven? And then they start kind of listing off, you know, well, it's this, this, and this. And I say, okay, what are the qualifications? Um, how do you have eternal life? And then they start saying, okay, well, you need to do this and this and this. And, and they're, they're all really good answers. They really are. And I say, well, how would you feel if you got to heaven and someone you weren't expecting to be there was there? Somebody who hadn't earned it. And it's interesting because a lot of times I'll get answers back of, well, I probably would be upset at first. But then I think I think it'd be cool. I think it'd be great. I'd be glad that they're there. And I say, well, why would you be upset? And they said, well, because I've done, like I've done these things. You know, I've been in church. I'm, it's Sunday morning and I'm here. I, I was up late last night and we're still here at church. And I've, you know, I've followed this guideline and I've read this book of the Bible and I've prayed this many times and because I've done the work. And then I ask the question, is that how it works? And I'd ask you that question, is, is that the way it works? Um, I believe the good news, the good news is that in spite of who we are, God's love is available through Jesus Christ. And it's not just available to you and me. Think of the good news of knowing that it's the king, the king of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who designed everything designed you he knows everything you've ever done and he still loves you passionately and there's nothing that you can do that will surprise him and there's nothing that you can do that will remove you from his love and then that love extends everywhere and so then the question as we close is really then what does it mean to go and do likewise Um, what does that mean who are our neighbors You can go on Facebook and you see, especially these last couple of weeks, really angry Facebook messages about some of the things that have been going on. Um, And I'm not making a political statement, okay? Please know that. Um, But about some of the things that have been happening with Supreme Court. Um, And I would just ask the question, what would it look like to go and do likewise? What would it look like to display love even with somebody that you might say, I, we disagree, or we don't see things through the same lens. What would that look like? And I'm not saying I have the answer. I think it looks different among all of us. And so the encouragement, I think, this week would be to say, 
I think it's exciting to think that we, this expands the way we see the world. Jesus in his um, teaching expanded their world. He said, you know, the people you think are in, yeah, they're in, but I love everyone. I, I truly want to expand your horizon. And it's uncomfortable, isn't it? Isn't it uncomfortable? It is for me. I don't know what that looks like. But let's figure that out. You know, let's ask that question. Let's figure out what does it look like to love the people um, in our lives that have hurt us or love the people in our lives that make decisions that are hurtful towards others? What does it look like to love people that disagree with us on all of the issues, everything? What does that look like? I don't get it right most of the time. Like I said, like this morning, I got upset because I had bad breath. I didn't want to hear it. And so the thing that I would encourage as we're kind of leaving is, and I'm in this boat with you, is there anything that God's kind of saying to you, hey, here's a way I'd love to expand the amount of love in your life. And you might be kind of going, I'm good. No, no thanks. I love you, God. You're, you're great. And just know, by saying that, God's not saying, okay, my love's not there with you anymore. It's not. Um, God's not going to, um, well, I don't, I don't want to say what God's not going to do. I don't know. I can't speak for what God will do. Um, but just, I really do believe that there's an opportunity for us to look at the city differently, um, to look at our family differently, um, and to, to look at ourselves differently. And then I think to look at God differently. Um, so I hope this is kind of a conversation that, that will give you opportunity to talk with each other, um, that it doesn't end here. Um, and I really believe that it's a lifelong thing. I think when I'm 95, I'm still going to be trying to figure this out and still going to be learning new things. Um, and that's exciting to me, that I don't have it all figured out. So let's, let's go ahead and, uh, and close in prayer. And um, join me here. So, hey, God, I, just thank you. Thank you so much for loving us. And uh, thank you for, for loving me. Thank you for not being angry with me because I'm short-sighted and I don't get it. Um, thank you for having patience with me. Um, thank you for loving me even when I get upset in the tiniest little situations uh, when I just feel like so many times, God, my comfort level is challenged. And, um, and God, I just want to lift up every person in this room. I just pray that they would recognize that that you're a loving God. You are a compassionate God. You are truly slow to anger. Um, and God, you're patient with us. You're understanding. You're caring. You're generous. You're kind. You're compassionate. You're just. And, uh, and God, in ways we could never get. And that love never has an end. And I just pray that we would rest in that and just understand what that feels like and what that's like, that we would just start to try to swim in it. Teach us what that really means. Teach us not to run back to shame or to feel like oh, we, you don't love us or to, to kind of try to hide from you, but I pray that we could just become more and more understanding of the fact that your love just pours on us and that got out of that, uh, that that others' lives would be able to be changed and that maybe the way that we see love would be expanded. Father, thank you um, for caring for us. Thank you for, um, for loving us the way that you do. Just teach us. So we uh, thank you for this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.